the Imposter Syndrome Files. I am so grateful that you're here, and I really hope that you've been enjoying the conversations that you've been listening to, and hopefully finding some tips, some next steps that you can take if you struggle with similar feelings of self-doubt, which obviously, as you're hearing, are fairly universal. This is something that we all go through from time to time. When I started this podcast, my goal was really to try to normalize the experience, to let everybody know that you are not alone, that there's a name for what you're feeling, and that there are steps that we can be taking to manage it more effectively. What I have found over the course of these conversations has been fascinating. I have had an absolutely powerful and different conversation with every single person who I have interviewed. I worried at one point that there may not be enough to talk about. How much is there to say about imposter syndrome? Are the stories gonna start to get repetitive? That has absolutely not been the case. Everyone brings a fascinating new perspective to this conversation. I have learned something from every discussion that we've had. I hope you have too. I wanna make a note that many of these recordings are being done during the social distancing that's happening with coronavirus. I am doing my best to protect the sound quality, but we are all in homes that have pets, kids, all kinds of background noise going on. For me, it's much more important to share with you a very natural conversation between two people than it is to share a perfectly polished recording. So I hope that you will bear with us if there are moments where the sound is not perfect. Uh, Really, my goal is to share stories, not to provide perfectly scripted, perfectly polished audio. So apologies for any imperfections that may be coming through in the recordings, but I'm hoping that you're getting the essence of the message regardless. So thank you again for being here. I wish you all the best and hope that you will consider sharing your own story one day. Thanks again. Welcome, Amber. It's so great to have you here today. I would love to start by learning a little bit more about you. Would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. I'm Amber Christian, founder of Wonderly Software Solutions. We build a product called Bellasina, and we can nerd out about that later if you'd like. (laughs) But I've got a 20-year background in technology. So I actually came out of college with a technology degree, and I've spent the last 20 years in tech working as a business analyst and a project manager. And now I'm an entrepreneur as well, building software. Wonderful. So as you know, we're here today to talk about imposter syndrome. I would love to hear from you what that means to you and how, if at all, it has shown up in your career and your life more generally. Absolutely. So for me, imposter syndrome shows up as that quiet little voice that says, you shouldn't be doing this. You're not qualified to do this. And I've run into it throughout my career. I think a lot of, well, a lot of people in general run into it, even if they don't have a name for it. But for me, it's that quiet voice that says, why would, why would you be the one to do this? Mm. And do you have a sense as to when it's more likely to show up? Uh, you know, does that voice strike at 
certain moments? Do you see any patterns there? Yes, there are patterns for me when imposter syndrome shows up. And usually it's when I'm about to have a big breakthrough <clears throat> on something. That's when the, the, the fear really kicks in. So, you know, I came out of college and I actually went into technology when I was in college. I was almost computer illiterate at the time. And I mean, I could use email <laughs> at the time, right? I could do basic word processing. But in terms of actually building out technology and working inside of technology organizations, I didn't grow up actually tearing apart computers, writing code, all of those things that are typically associated with tech. So I always had felt like I was at a disadvantage. And so whenever I was going into something that was really, really new for me and was a big leap forward, that's usually where it rears its ugly head. That's really interesting because that is definitely one of the themes that I'm noticing too in having these conversations is how often people talk about not having the traditional background that they associate with whatever it is they're doing today. So you mentioned not breaking apart computers, coding earlier in life. So you come to this career, to the work that you're doing, feeling like you don't have the same level of experience as others who may be doing similar work. Absolutely. Yes, that is the common, that's been my common theme. And is that still true for you 20 years later? Oh yeah, I still run into it. <laughs> people will look at me and say, well, you're so confident. I said, well, not always. <laughs> you're not here every moment. You don't see the moments that I'm not. Because <laughs> guess what? We all have them. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And I think that is one of the challenges too, is that we look around and we see the external appearances of people who seem to have it all figured out, who seem to be very confident. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And so if we're in a moment of doubt, if we're second guessing ourselves, we don't have the opportunity to connect with others that we feel have similar uncertainties because people are too afraid to say it out loud. People are too afraid to share it with each other. Yes, they are. And the other challenge I've often run into is, you know, we can condition ourselves and sometimes we are conditioned to feel like we have to be perfect. And I think that can really, when we're in newer areas, that could really exacerbate that feeling of insecurity is that, oh, well, I have to be perfect. Well, I can't tell anyone that I'm struggling with this or I can't tell anyone I don't know. And that can really make it that much worse and compound that feeling. And so I, I've really learned that I have to surround myself with other people, that some that are also on the journey, some that are not, but that understand that and that you can actually open up to a little bit because they don't expect you to be perfect. So for me, that's one of the keys to how do you continue to make these leaps is surround yourself with people that know you're not always going to be perfect and they're okay with that. I love that because there is definitely this counterintuitive benefit of vulnerability as Brene Brown has spoken about so powerfully, mm -hmm. right? That you know, we, we deprive ourselves of an opportunity to get support, uh, to just be reminded of our greatness, of our strengths, to just be able to 
more effectively weather those self-doubt storms when yeah. we aren't willing or feeling safe enough to share what's really going on with others and having this expectation that people want us to know everything, want us to be perfect, just makes it impossible for us to be able to share that. So I love what you're saying about seeking out the people that we know we can be real with, right? The people that we don't have to put on that, that face of, I've got this when we're not feeling that way. Right. And another trick I've used over the years as well. And sometimes you, sometimes you're not sure if they're just a trick of the trade or just an ingrained part of your personality. So I'm not really sure anymore because I've used this one for so long. <laughs> but when, when you approach a lot of things from a spirit of collaboration, I actually find that imposter syndrome drops a lot for me as well. And so if I'm preparing something or I'm working on something, we do things with drafts of things and iterate through things. And it allows us to not have to bring this perfect, polished self. And again, it depends on what kind of work you do and what your field is and what those expectations are for you. But I have found approaching a lot of things from that spirit of collaboration actually lets me be a little, little more vulnerable and it doesn't have to be perfect. And other people don't have to offer something to me that's perfect. I can take what they have and run with it too so that we don't exacerbate each other's imposter syndromes because reality is we work with people that have it too. <laughs> we that's don't realize true. that either. <laughs> yeah, I love what you're saying because that's so interesting. It's that collaboration and that iterative process really brings to the surface the fact that everything is a work in progress, right? That nobody starts out with a perfect product. So I love how you are talking about that process actually helping you from a confidence perspective. I had never thought about that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, for me, I, I've always worked collaboratively, but I don't know if that's because it's tied to having always had the imposter syndrome. <laughs> I don't know if that's where it comes from. I never, never really thought about it till this conversation. But that collaborative nature and that iterative nature and that idea that things are a draft, it's progress, not perfection, right? It really takes away a lot of that, well, this isn't so perfect. And especially when you're in new areas, right? So I'm an entrepreneur and I'm constantly having to learn and adjust. And lately it's really an adjustment. We're all going through a tremendous number of adjustments. So by approaching it with a slightly different spirit, I still get to bring my knowledge and what I do know to the table while allowing room for that creativity and that polish and that next level to be created with others. I really love what you're saying. And I'm wondering too, if it has anything to do with the people you're collaborating with. It, it, are there, have you noticed any differences based on the personality types of the people? Uh, is it, I guess what I'm wondering is, is it purely the act of collaboration or does it have anything to do with the personalities involved in the collaboration? There's absolutely a role to play for personalities. Not everyone is, <clears throat> is used to working collaboratively. 
and, and that that is one of the areas where you can run into struggles. So even when you introduce and say, we're going to collaborate and you start to work through that, there's still a lot of people that want to just um, decide not collaborate and, and that that will lead to some friction. So part of it is having to even set the stage for what does that mean? How do we need to communicate as well? Because communication is actually really different in the collaborative style than it is in, it's one thing to inform, it's something completely different to collaborate with mm -hmm. someone. And so how that might look different and in playing into personalities, certain personalities, industries, roles, may be used to just informing you they made a decision on your behalf and this is the result. It, where someone who's collaborative will say, we've got this decision to make, I think I know what we need to do, let's talk about it and have a conversation about it. Two wildly different forms of working and the first person may say, well, yeah, I collaborate. I, I told you this. I'm like, that's not a collaboration. <laughs> <It's informing. laughs> um, <laughs> and and I almost, I'm almost kind of to this stage in my career where I think about, I, I even have to think about how you explain that work style to people because it is a work style and it is a different style. And to, you almost have to give people explanations because they have to wire themselves to work collaboratively. So it's not a process that you can't just say, hey, we're going to collaborate on this and people know what that means. You actually have to be a little thoughtful about how that might mean the work gets done. But then that gives space for everybody. So it might be, oh, that might mean, hey, we're going we're gonna to do multiple drafts and iterate through this based on what we know. We may throw things out. We may add things. We may change things around substantively as part of the collaboration and iteration process. And so as you explain that to people, if the idea is going for a whole bunch of stuff, then they don't need to be offended if certain stuff gets thrown out later, because the idea was to go for a whole bunch of stuff. And it was part of that messy innovation collaboration process. So the biggest thing I'd suggest for people is if, collabor if collaborating is a really good way to reduce your uncertainty in an area you don't know, take a little time to think about how you can set the stage well for that and you'd be able to navigate it a lot better in that process for all parties. It's such a, such a powerful point that you're making because there's so many elements to it. I think we talked about the fact that it really lowers the pressure that we put on ourselves to be perfect. What it also does is it gives everybody space. So it's empowering in many ways right? It doesn't have that hierarchical feel where we, whether it's built into the system or just the way we view the world, we look around and think, well, that person knows more than I do. So I need to take a back seat in this conversation, right? Or I'm going to sound foolish if I give my idea uh, because these people have so much more expertise in this area. It, if as you're describing it, it's really structured in such a way that you're just looking for the ideas. Some will uh, some will be tossed out, some will be incorporated, but it's really a safe place to, to share. That gives space to so many more people who might otherwise sit on the sidelines to really add value and build their confidence in the process. Right. And what I'd say to people who think, well, I shouldn't say anything because that, I, you know, I have less experience. Sometimes it's actually the voice of less experience is actually what we need because you will observe different things. Mm 
So when you come from an observational lens where you say, well, I don't want to offer that idea, we'll help people understand where that observation is coming from. You know, maybe the idea is coming from, I noticed this and this, does this make sense? And part of it is, is simply in how you say it. It might be, should we consider something like this? And if people say no, okay, that's okay. But again, you're offering it up based on a lens of observation and perspective. So even if you're not as experienced, the whole point is you're collaborating and your observation, you know, maybe they don't do that, but maybe it provides the spark for someone who's more experienced to have a very different observation that is the right path. So that's a critical thing to think about, that those questions are actually important at different at different stages of projects because you need the fresh lens and insight so you might be shaking in your shoes when you do it <laughs> experience you're like oh i don't know how to say that say okay and, and you can couch it by saying hey I, I get that i don't have those experience levels but here's my observations does this make sense a lot of it is simply in how you phrase it when you offer it up and then people can pause and go well wait a second the voice of someone that maybe doesn't have all of these years of experience sometimes can be the wiser voice because sometimes experienced ones, we can overcomplicate things. Can we be really honest here? <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, and then there's these 48 things and you're like, really, we only needed to do three. <laughs> I absolutely love that because one of the things that I always try to reinforce is you're in the room for a reason, right? No one chose to throw you into a room full of quote unquote experts uh, to sit on the sidelines and feel uncomfortable. <laughs> right. The reason why the decision was made to include you and your level of experience and your perspective on the business in this conversation, right? And often, depending on the culture, depending on the personality types involved, you may be up against some pretty big egos, some pretty big personalities. So it can be intimidating, but there's a reason you are in that room. And I think starting from a place of self-trust that I belong here, I have a right to be here and my perspective is wanted, right? I, I wouldn't be here otherwise can go a long way in helping to minimize some of that too. Absolutely. And sometimes the role to play can even be when you have those more experienced people in the room, asking questions to help flesh out the observations they have. Mm. You, you know, your role isn't just to come and you always have to provide all the answers. Sometimes your role is to say, hey, I'm going to put the hat on that says, let's clarify that. Let's make sure everybody understands. Let's make sure that we all that, that it's clear. And that's a valuable communication role to play is simply the clarifier. Because when you get a lot of big egos in the room, you can have people, it's this and this and this. And then they're like, and then it's this and this and this. And they're, they're all talking about these super definitive things and no one else in the room has a clue what they're talking about. So you can adopt a role and you can even say it in the meeting, I'm going to adopt the role of clarifier to make sure people know that we're all, that we're all on the same page. Part of that goes back to some of your meeting roles and, and who's doing what in the meetings. So think about, particularly if something like imposter syndrome is a struggle, what role could you provide? Maybe it's not providing the answer, but maybe it's the clarification. 
maybe it's helping people. Sometimes there's communicators that can't really clearly explain an idea and they need someone that helps refine it because it's not that it's a bad idea, but they struggle to communicate it. So there's a lot of ways that by working on the communication skills, the clarifying questions that you can provide a tremendous amount of value and you don't have to have the answer at all. That's such a great recommendation because I think if we, if we find ourselves in a place where we are directly comparing our expertise to someone else's who may have many more years of experience, who may have a skill set that we don't have, we're setting ourselves up to fail, right? We're setting ourselves right. to, right. to experience self-doubt. Instead of looking at how can I possibly compete with that person, instead what you're saying is <clears throat> how can I complement this yes. conversation? That's exactly right. If you come at things, and that, that's where the collaboration, it's about complementary skill sets and having different people in the room and as part of the conversation. And that's something I've really refined and honed in, in 20 years in technology. Because at first, for many, many years, I was the least experienced person in the room. Until all of a sudden, in the course of a couple of years, I ended up being the most experienced person in the room. It was just a shift that happened in my career. And depending on what situation you're in, you could be the most or the least experienced in the room. But I found that that ability to ask questions and really understand and that communication mechanism was so important as a skill to be able to take forward. Because for my career, it allows me to walk into a lot of different rooms and situations without context and be able to make progress. And it's a very valuable career skill to build those complementary sort of pragmatic question, how do I support and be part of this team without having to be the person that has the answers? One of the many things I love about this conversation that we're having is that it certainly provides great guidance to the individual who may be struggling and looking for ways to show up more confidently and more effectively in these settings. But what it also offers is an opportunity for leaders to think about how they're structuring their teams and what adjustments might be made to bring out some of the folks who are silently, invisibly struggling with these issues, really expecting that even if you don't know that that's the case, there is no doubt that you have people on your team who are struggling with imposter syndrome, worrying about how they fit in, worrying about the value that they have to offer. And I've been asked recently, are organizations addressing this issue? What are companies doing? And I think this is such a great possibility for leaders at all levels to think about adopting. Absolutely, because it, it as you said, it makes space for people. You know, you, you have the new person on the team, Maybe their role is to question everything, not just that they're learning from a fire hose, but to be the person who says, well, why do we do this exactly? Mm -hmm. And then and people, instead of getting mad, more experienced people might go, hmm, wait a second, why do we do that? Do we still need to? You know, and that person that's brand new then doesn't have to sit there feeling like, well, I'm brand new. I'm the new guy. I'm drinking from the fire hose. I can't say anything. I'm just supposed to be the order taker and do this thing as opposed to them being able to step in and provide value and do simple things like saying, why do we do that process? Exactly. Is that a value add? Should we do that process? 
help me understand. And it's a very small, subtle shift, but think of how it changes everything for your team and the new person on the team. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I mean, you mentioned early on how some teams are, they lend themselves more nicely to this kind of process, uh, Mm -hmm. tech, I think tech teams in particular, but I can really see how this would fit into any number of groups that aren't doing this today. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, this is, this is really, really powerful. I am so grateful that we're having this conversation. I would love to wrap up with a final question, which is, you know, what motivated you to want to tell your story today? And I guess that wasn't the final question because the final question is actually, uh, what do you hope people will take away from it? So those two things as a wrap up to the conversation. (laughs) So what what motivated me to come out and actually talk about imposter syndrome. It's not something I think I talk about necessarily all that much because it's just like this thing that's here and, you know, pops up periodically and then we deal with it. So I'm, I'm really used to it being so many years in, and as a woman in technology as well, I've talked to a lot of other women in technology that have felt it, not just in technology. Lots of us feel it, but I have learned when I talk about it, I've had a lot of people tell me it's really helpful to understand that you go through that. They're like, oh, well, you're this entrepreneur and you went out and built this software and and did all this stuff. And I, yeah, and I was shaking in my shoes while I was doing it too. And my confidence comes and goes at different times. And so I just want people to understand that we're all on a journey and this imposter syndrome won't last forever. It usually is associated with phases and to realize that, yep, this is this is that phase you're in, and it might really be about your growth. So I was inspired to talk about it from the perspective of hoping it would be helpful for others on the path that feel like it's not something they can talk about and they have to be perfect, because they don't. I, I love that. And I am sure that a lot of people will be inspired by your story and this conversation that we're having today. I'm so grateful to have you here and I wish you all the best as we move ahead. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share it with other women who can benefit from this conversation. Before we go, I want to share some additional resources with you. If you struggle with this, with imposter syndrome and you want to manage it more effectively, I invite you to join my free imposter syndrome online challenge. Every day for seven days, you'll get an email with self-reflection questions and exercises to help you better understand your own experience with imposter syndrome and how to navigate it more effectively. To join the free challenge, visit executivecareersuccess.com slash imposter dash syndrome dash challenge. When you sign up, you'll immediately receive your first message. Also, if you're interested in joining a community of women who engage in candid conversations that generally aren't happening elsewhere, I invite you to join my leading women discussion group. On the first and third Thursday of every month at 12 p.m. Eastern, we meet virtually over Zoom to talk about questions or challenges related to career management, 
leadership development, and any other relevant topics such as imposter syndrome and confidence. It's always a great discussion with a great group of women. If you want to check it out, you're welcome to be my guest on a future call. Just reach out to me at kim at executivecareersuccess.com and I will share the call details with you. And if you want to join my newsletter to receive tips, insights, and updates, text leading women, all one word, to 66866. Finally, consider telling us your story. Contact me to learn more about how you can be a guest on the Imposter Syndrome Files. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.